podcast, Beach Volleyball with Triborn and Travis Mawarder, Festivus edition, with our good friend John Mesco. How are we doing, Mesco? Good evening. It's uh, I'm, I'm here to air the grievances for Festivus. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this should get interesting, man. <laughs> I was saying, Beach Volleyball, that list can get kind of long sometimes. <laughs> I got a lot of problems with you people, and now you're going to hear about it. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but so you were, you just mentioned that you were celebrating Festivus at one of your restaurants. Um, so which one of, what, you have four? Seven. Seven. Jeez. Well, I was way off. So we have, well, can you walk us through the restaurants then? Because I had two Rock and Brews, a Serve on Second, and then there was one other that, but there's seven. There ends up, uh, there's currently six Rock and Brews and Serve on Second. Okay. That's awesome. So we have, what, a Buena Park? It's about, about the same quantity of volleyball nets in Hermosa. Six <laughs> rock and brew nets and two serve on second. Every, yeah. every restaurant you get, you have to have a net for it, right? <laughs> That's right. Uh, rock and Brew's Buena Park actually has its own private uh, pro beach volleyball court and just doesn't really get used outside of me versus Trambley. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Well, your court on 35th Street now gets used nonstop. That, uh, uh, it's been pretty fun there. There's a, there's a couple guys that have discovered uh, uh, the, the little private court, and we have a little text chain to reserve it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, there's one grievance that I'll air against myself that I uh, didn't check with Mesco before we went to practice there, and we got kicked off. Ooh, <laughs> rookie. Me, I figured that I was, uh, I was with Billy Allen and Ryan Doherty, so I figured that I was pulling enough weight, but just wasn't enough. <laughs> Trevor, Trevor was the start of that text chain. He, he thinks he owns it. Oh yeah, Trevor, I, I just let him text you, but it's worked every time almost so far. But now you guys have moved down down the block. I know Jose. it's a little far, like and you guys five hundred yards. And but. you stole my and you stole my hitting box. Yeah, I heard about that. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Appreciate that. Being aired early. <laughs> You're welcome. So you went. You started. You were on Eighth Street for a while. And then to 35th, but we were mentioning, we were talking about your 8th Street setup the other day, how there were four courts and just your porch is just like this magnet for just beach volleyball hangouts. How did that start? Like, when did it begin to just become the place that people went to practice and then just play backgammon on Mesco's porch? Uh, I'm not exactly sure, but I, I enjoy just kind of making things a little bit better and improving things. And so I, I, when I arrived at 8th Street... It was pretty much Rosie's Raiders uh, hanging out, drinking. And uh, I just started going out there and, and putting up a new net and, twi- and tightening the cables and, and putting down lines. And all of a sudden, people just start, started showing up to play. And then it culminated one, one spring in 2012 when I felt like we had an international powwow there with Brink and Reckerman and the Russians and New Zealand and China. And it was everybody given Rosie. It was, uh, it was a pretty impressive I, I just stood back and looked at it and thought it was pretty pretty fun to watch yeah and for for a guy from Michigan too that's a pretty impressive field to pull in your front yard <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty fun and then people just kind of hung out after practice on my porch and uh, Adam Roberts had the uh, Adam Roberts is always looking for a big blocker as we know <laughs> and uh, and he uh, he just kind of was joking around one day, and he said, "Hey, h- how tall are you?" And he started measuring <laughs> measuring measuring guys on the wall. Oh, that's right, I got up there. And uh, pretty much everybody's on the wall. Hayden might be one of the few who's not Oof. on the wall, but almost everybody was on that wall, uh, officially height measured, so nobody could cheat and add the inch. Is that wait? Is that on? It eight, is pretty cool. Is that to Eighth see. Street or yeah, it got it's, knocked it's down. Gone. It's gone. It's oh, officially it's gone. in the dumpster. 
That would have been like you should have pulled the. Uh, uh, it it was posted in Dig Magazine. Oh, the, was the it? The wall was posted. That's it was, awesome. It got a picture in Dig. Dude, that would have been like like if beach volleyball had a, a hall of fame, like how baseball is in Cooperstown. That wall should have been saved and just shipped yeah. to wherever the beach volleyball hall of fame would be. That would have been nice. It would have been. Probably could have done it too. Uh, it, it, it was pretty. The most amusing part for me was watching people. Uh, Tell Adam what they thought their height was, and then see the, <laughs> and then see the real height. Almost everybody was about an inch high, except for Phil and a few other specific, just a few other guys yeah. that were just like, yeah, I'm probably six nine, and he was six nine. It's like the the college listing, how yeah. you know, try you're about six five. USC mm-hmm. probably had you at six seven, six eight. Yeah, I, I put <laughs> six six on a when, few. Uh, Things when you yeah. uh, when you look at the opposing team and then and then you get out there on the court you're like wow you guys don't really look as big as you uh, <laughs> yeah. your roster that's says. an interesting six seven look there <laughs> there's also the shoe factor you know True. indoor guys versus beach guys beach guys tend to not even know their height yes we're never like on and you seem short service. and you seem shorter on the beach I know when it, you see you guys out right. at the bar at a restaurant they yeah. seem a lot taller totally. They got shoes on and they're not sinking into the sand. Except for Casebeer. He's he's officially uh one I mean him and him and Taylor are the anomalies on the wall, six oh and six three that just Wait, Casebeer's six three? I think Case Beer's six three. Whoa. No. We'll double check. We need, the to, wall. Go we need to go to the wall for this. We need yeah. to go to the wall. <laughs> Ask the wall. Bring it back. No, I'm pretty <laughs> I, I think he's at least my height. But as Patterson said, who's who was on the wall, mm-hmm. he said really the measurement is what can you jump touch? What's your max jump touch? And I'm surprised he's saying that. He should, but he, he, should, he, say, but he, reaches, he should say wingspan. He, he reaches 8'9". That's, that's a big number. Yeah, yeah. he's got a huge wingspan. He can joust you so standing. We, I, I like playing no jump. I, I think I'm the only one who's ever hosted a no jump tournament last spring. That, which was great. Uh, the oh, people sure. were practicing in Huntington for like two months for that no jump tournament. I just <laughs> want to make sure you know that. The word spread. And like, people were excited. training. I, I, I've heard Patterson Wong when they played together. Kevin Wong had had his volleyball labeled six seven volleyball ninjas one time. I, I noticed Patterson Wong would seem like a pretty formidable mm-hmm. team. Uh, pa- Wong, I'm, I go back home fairly often, and uh, Wong's out there with the Nooners nowadays, basically playing no jump. <laughs> <laughs> it's not no jump, but that, that's how his game is these days. He's still got those tricky shots and. And all that though, but we would have had to when Gib Patterson went up on the wall. We would have had to go out on the porch and had a had a jump touch, kind of like remember when Dwight oh, Howard yeah. at the dunk competition slapped the twelve nine? Was it? He put a put twelve a sticker nine sticker up, up yeah. on the backboard, so you, you would have got a sticker and got to put it on the wall. Ooh, that would have been fun. That would have been fun with a little headshot on there, just <laughs> slap it up there. Yeah. That would be sick, actually. That's how Adam would have recruited his next blocker. <laughs> Troy Field. Troy Field touching 13-6. <laughs> That's funny. Well, for, for most players, you know, this is, you know, we ask kind of what's keeping them busy in the offseason. Um, you've had quite a busy couple months, even though you haven't been doing a lot of playing. That's uh, true. Opening up Serve on 2nd, uh, which congrats, by the way. Thank it's you. a great restaurant. That's where... Uh, me and Delaney went on our first date at Serve on Second, so wow. making relationship happen, Mesco. I've heard of a couple of first dates there. It's only been open six months, but maybe we'll have a. a we've had a couple of wedding uh, parties, but probably nice. not. Probably not resulting from first dates yet. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's uh, it's been pretty fun. Yeah, we hosted Festivus there uh, uh, 
And we cracked three bottles of Dom. That was pretty fun. Nice. I haven't done that yet there, so... How do you do Festivus at a restaurant? I'm curious what the rules are. Wait, be. you got to let people know what Festivus yeah, is, because I did them, not know before Can you give this. our listeners a rundown? You are the Seinfeld uh, expert in the house here. Apparently. So uh, Festivus was uh, a made-up holiday for the Costanzas on Seinfeld, um, who got fed up with Christmas, which some people do. And they, they came up with a Festivus for the rest of us. And there's a, a couple of traditions, one of which is, as we discussed, the airing of the grievances, which... People need to do more and just let others know uh, their true feelings. Yeah, what, what's, what's the problem? Um, <laughs> one of which is the feats of strength, which I'm sure volleyball players would appreciate. And it's unclear exactly what that is, except for George's dad says, Festivus is not over until you pin me. So that, that's not, that, also, that also sounds fun. <laughs> we will link to this episode in the show notes, by the way. <laughs> uh, and and uh, there's a Festivus pole instead of a Christmas tree. So we had all those traditions, donations to the human fund money for people and it was it was just fun we had a seinfeld trivia contest hosted by adam roberts and uh who's the trivia um oh he's the king guru yeah after every if you time are, if you're smart enough you'll get an invite from adam to trivia night well he's like been kind of giving me little tryouts every time we practice we've just been getting out and doing serve and pass and be like how's your uh knowledge on on authors you read a lot right what's because the capital I, I, I might, what's the capital missouri <laughs> like yeah. you're just asking random questions like that and jade's like are you gonna do this? Like, are you, are you succeeding in the tryout? <laughs> I've uh, I've gone. I don't get invites a lot, but every once in a while, I just get a category like music that I just knock out of the park. Yeah, it's pretty pretty fun. It was funny that he uh, constantly asks about that and always betting. So him and Zon the other day, I was at Adams for dinner, and they now have a death bet, which I believe that you and Adam also have a death bet. <laughs> we do. It's in writing. <laughs> so it's just. One person has to pay the other. It's like, I'll live longer than you, is the bet. Hmm. <laughs> well, you got to throw the money on their coffin? Or? Uh, that's or funny th- that you asked <laughs> that. You have to collect at the funeral. You have to ask for the money at the funeral. Oh, wow. Which I think is funny. But I don't know if my we'll family or his family would think it's funny. That day, we'll see if it's yeah. funny. <laughs> You're like patting him down in the coffin like uh Yeah. Is happen, that a wallet in there? If it happens soon, somebody's going to send the link to this podcast. I'm like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it wouldn't, that wouldn't be good. Now it's official. It's on Sandcast. Um, but you are clearly deeply ingrained in the beach community. You know, you and Adam have death bets. Trevor Crabb has tried to take partial ownership of your court. You bring Ty Trambley out of retirement, which is very difficult to do. Um, pretty I've, much, I've used all your uh, water equipment, <laughs> but usually when you're not around. Like, I, uh, <laughs> I I enjoy uh, um, having a lot of people over. I grew up with a big family, so I, I just enjoy having people over. Yeah, you're one of nine? One of nine. One of nine. Wow. And you grew up in Michigan, so you got to take our listeners through the path of, of how John Mesco kind of became the this beach volleyball, almost like a ringleader of sorts, where just like people just gravitate towards wherever your courts are. Because like once the 8th Street went down, like, 35th Street just happened, and it... I think it's an upgrade. It was was seamless. I think it's an upgrade, too. It's funny that a lot of people couldn't find it for a while, and some of them, I'm happy they haven't found it. Like, 8 was easy, but Uh, 35, but 35 Street. (laughs) Most bikers uh, cut up on this because they don't want to walk their bike up the stairs, Uh, so it's been kind of fun for people to find, but my dog and my succulent walls are pretty obvious if Mm -hmm. uh, if you make it down that far, but... uh, like most Midwesterners or even East Coasters will relate to, growing up for me, volleyball was a girl sport. And so we pretty much stopped playing volleyball in the sixth grade with knee pads. <laughs> uh, but 
as I, I played a lot of basketball, a lot of baseball, and I was a um, pretty high-level mountain biker. And when I went down to the beach when I was 18, and I finally saw it just magically happened that four volleyball players actually knew what they were doing on the beach in, in northern Michigan. I was I felt like I'd been cheated. Like my guidance counselor steered me astray. Yeah. Like in, in the movie Deuce Bigelow when uh, when the guy says <laughs> I women pay me to have sex with them. It's like my guidance counselor didn't tell me about that job. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I felt like I'd been cheated and I just I was I was magnetically drawn to it. It was exciting and, and it, you know, just a couple of years later, I moved out here because if you if you want, as everybody knows, if you really want to play volleyball a lot, you kind of need to be on the West Coast, in the South Bay. Yeah. San and Diego. I know from experience that when you move from an area that just has pockets of beach volleyball, and then you move out here where beach volleyball is like lifeblood for some of these people, it's a very big difference in ability. Like you have a culture shock in and of itself. What was it like when you moved out here? In what, 2002? 2002. Okay. Look at you. Do, do your research. <laughs> I'm good with random yeah. numbers sometimes. I moved, oh, I moved uh, just a little bit off of where I, I... I've always wanted to be in the South Bay, but I moved to Santa Monica. Uh, and just It was amazing to get down to the beach and see... You know, I think two of the first guys I met on the beach were Hayden and Nygaard. They were just coming off, their, uh, coming off of indoor and just getting onto the beach and just overhearing them talk about you know, what side are we going to play and and do you play defense or block? And, you know, for Hayden, who's kind of a midway, mm-hmm. and mids could be a blocker. Um, yeah. It was, it was, and, and he was kind of picking which side. I've always heard that he... he has short arms, though. He specifically uh, picked the uh, the right side because uh, he... Somehow he did the research that left side guys have more shoulder surgery from hitting wrist away. Well, he had to... He almost had shoulder surgery. He should have, from, actually. From indoors? Yeah, torn labrum, I think. I think he plays with the torn labrum. Karch had three. Yeah. He played left side, had three shoulders. But yeah, surgeries. the wrist away gets you. So he went, well, plus I think he always knew that the left, if you're going to be a defender, you gotta, it's better to be a right sider because <laughs> you're going to have more choices. Is that why I have trouble finding uh, left side defenders? <laughs> I can do it. There's only a Taylor, Taylor Crab. Yeah. I, sure. I pretty much uh, try to scoop. Any uh, any of Jake Gibbs' partners on their way on their way on their down. way out. Yeah. <laughs> good luck he's with the, Taylor. He's one of the few right side blockers. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. Well, Should Trevor now. Well, Rosie seems to be a free agent. Are you scooping him? I'd, I'd love to talk to him. <laughs> <laughs> he's uh, he's been at the Mesco courts a few times. He has. He has. Well, I I moved to his court. Eighth uh, Street is where Rosie grew up playing. So. I, yeah. uh, I kind of moved into his hood. Didn't he have like a his Rosie Raiders? Is it still up? His yeah. Rosie's his, Raiders his sign ball, or whatever. His ball sign. Mm-hmm. Um, those guys just kind of hang out there. Um, it's a locals locals crew. And when you crew. when you moved out here, what were the what was the plan really? Because you were business administration major in college. And I was. So you were intelligent enough to, I'm sure, understand the economic realities of beach volleyball and that that was probably not going to be your main source of income. So when you moved out here, what did you view beach volleyball as? Was it Because a lot of people come out and they're like, I'm going to make it. And they're, you know, they're living on couches and floors and stuff, but I can't imagine that that was what you came out here to do. Well, I've always, I've always kind of been a little bigger picture and, and kind of swing for the fences, shoot for the stars kind of guy. So... I really try to ask the right questions. So right now, I'm I, I'm in my life. I'm looking for a little higher consciousness, and that's eventually that's going to take me to Nepal and the Himalayas and 
and Bhutan and where higher consciousness people hang out. You know, just like if awesome. you want to play high level volleyball, you're going to end up in the South Bay or Rio or you know maybe Southeast Florida. Um, that's where you're going to end up. Now you got my attention. <laughs> higher so, consciousness. <laughs> so go. at that time, 15 years ago, uh, I was I was interested in girls in bikinis and uh, and playing and and playing really good volleyball and having a lot of fun uh, in between. And that that was Hermosa Beach. And so I uh, I was drawn to Hermosa Beach, and then I was kind of looking around. I said, wow, it would be really cool to live on the Strand. And, and I just kind of started asking questions, what does it take? And, and I said, well, it's going to cost about $5 million minimum if you want to buy a house or you can rent one. And so I just kind of started using that as a as a bar and say, what would it take for me to for me to make that much money? And, and I, I used that as the algorithm to... To maybe get there. I suppose I suppose we're there now. We'll see. Yeah. Now we're seven restaurants mm-hmm. in. That's awesome. Yeah. But my goal for uh, uh, you know, I was reading a Tony Robbins article recently, and he said most people overestimate what they can do in a year and underestimate what they can do in a decade. And that hmm. that uh, I've been marinating on that for the last uh, last couple weeks, and I agree with it. Most people set New Year's resolutions and they're broken. People set. I mean, I was married. People set wedding vows, and they're broke. This one very high-level <clears throat> couples counselor says most wedding vows, half of them are broken by the time the honeymoon's over. So people set New Year's resolutions. Most of them are broken in the first week of January. Um, so my my lesson from that is uh, is set more reasonable goals for the year, but really set high goals for what what do I want to do long term, and really what I want to do long term now is simplify my life more and. Uh, and spend a little more time giving giving back to others and helping others and, and giving back to humanity and, and detaching from myself and looking for higher consciousness. That's awesome. And you mentioned Nepal. How did you land on Nepal? Because I, I, we've talked about it a little bit before, but I was like, have you ever been there? You're like, nope. I'm going to find out what it's about, though. <laughs> Sounds awesome. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you got Mount Everest and the Himalayas and uh, just... It, there's a lot of Buddhism out there in monasteries and just high high level thinkers from India just kind of end up in the mountains meditating. So you might end up uh, doing the whole like not talking for a few months kind of thing. <laughs> well, we'll <laughs> Maybe see. there's a there's a hike in Kathmandu called the Annapurna Trail, and uh, it's. Um, it's maybe a three week hike, and people just kind of take you in there, and it's it's uh, it's a good start. That's awesome. I'm excited about it. I, had a, I mean, I kind of was dipping my toes into that sort of thing this whole past two years when I wasn't playing. I went to Bali and, you know, got into that vibe over there and read a bunch of books on it. And, dude, I think it's fascinating stuff and for sure a good um, path to happiness. Plus also being more productive and I think a better athlete too now that, now that I'm coming back to the sport and using some of that mental strength to to apply it to my game i just finished uh michael singer's second book this morning and i believe it's sub his two books are um uh the surrender experiment and the untethered soul and one of them is subtitled the journey beyond yourself so that's it's just a it's a good it's a good thing to marinate on 
Sounds like it. I'm excited to hear about it. We're going to have to have another podcast when we get back. There's going to be way less words. So. <laughs> it's going to be silence. It's going to be like Mr. Miyagi, like just like little sayings here and there that are just brilliant. Let's see if I can catch a fly with chopsticks. <laughs> we'll do video. video. When did this, uh, this focus on mindset sort of begin? Because it, it's kind of becoming sort of vogue in, in sports psychology circles and that, you know, being mindful and meditating, I feel like that's kind of the been like the fad of 2018 almost especially in sports did you start tapping into this when you were an athlete or is this more of a recent trend i've uh i've started it usually takes some monumental event in your life to really want to rise to want to start asking better questions uh for some some people are just smart enough to to know that you know when they're 15 but i wasn't uh for me it was uh um you know maybe getting divorced or uh or or, or moving out to California and just kind of uprooting my life, things that nor, most people that I see just don't do. Um, but uh, um, yeah, it's once once you begin, it's it's pretty addictive, and uh, and and you don't want to stop. Yeah, and I want to kind of backtrack a little bit to your your beach career. Um, in two thousand and was it oh six you first qualified? Oh six is correct. Nailed it. Got it. Damn, dude. Um, and they, like you rose through the ranks pretty quick because you hadn't played much. You played a little bit when you were in Michigan, but not a whole lot. And then, I mean, you jumped up pretty fast to the point where like the AVP, the way it does its rookie of the year is kind of a weird thing where it's like I would still be eligible for rookie of the year next year, even though I qualified a handful of times this year, just because I didn't hit that. Like I think you have to qualify for half. You have to play five events. There's some there's some uh, algorithm, but uh, yeah, I, I think uh, Billy Allen and I were both nominated that first year because he he was the first guy I qualified with, and then uh, Billy I think Billy Strickland beat us out. Oh, Billy Strix! <laughs> but uh, um, I'm but still you, upset but about yeah, that. Yeah, because you were almost rookie of the year. This guy from Michigan who didn't really start playing until like by volleyball standards, like your later years. Um, I know that Mike Whitmarsh is your hero. I read up on your MVL bio. Um, mm. earlier. So how did you go about adjusting and improving so fast? So I feel like beach volleyball for a lot of men is something that you pick up later in life just because like they have stories kind of like you where it's a girl's sport, you play in gym class and then, hey, like girls in bikinis, I can be competitive and kind of good at this thing. <laughs> it's all right. That's the, that's the age old attraction to beach volleyball is girls, <laughs> yeah. girls in bikinis. <laughs> no, you asked about books earlier. So um, one book I read a while ago called The Inner Game of Tennis. You and uh, both you and Brandon Joyner have, have uh, seemed to have a good depth of uh, uh, book knowledge among others. That was and, uh, my, probably my first uh, sports psychology book. Too. Really, really it's still good. one of the best. Really good one. And one, uh, uh, one specific memory I have from that book is they took two uh, groups and they did a, a, a scientific test on them. And they had a, a control group where they uh, where they had to do physical drills for tennis for an hour um, an hour a day for a couple of weeks, and then they had uh, the experimental group uh, sitting in a room in the dark and do mental uh, drills mm-hmm. in their mind, just very specific, hitting the ball a certain way with topspin, and they were shocked to see that the the group that was just doing it in their mind progressed almost as much as the group that was physically doing it. So there's I don't think I'm, I'm the first person to say that beach volleyball is very much a mental game. So it, uh, um, there's, I've seen so many f- amazingly physically talented players that, uh, that struggle to win, win matches. And then others like John Hyden, mm-hmm. who you, you watch him, you say, well, he's not really, 
doesn't look like he's jumping that high. doesn't look like he's hitting that hard. He stands there and he float serves and he just crushes people. And, uh, and, and he kind of chuckles walking back, <laughs> walking back to serve or walking back to the player's tent as he wins. And he, maybe he doesn't want to disclose how he does it, but there's little tiny things that he's doing. Totally. I'm sure you know just about as well as anybody else. It frustrates me that I'm like, damn it, I wish I learned more. Like, <laughs> like it didn't really make me skip all those steps. You still have to, you know, put I mean, in your time. Just playing with the guy didn't make every me Every time I stand, stand, float, serve, I think about him. He, he, uh, he mentioned in one of his last articles in Dig Magazine how you can put a little different pop on the ball and play with your arm speed and mm-hmm. hit it with the side of your hand one way or the other. And those are things... No, most people I know don't think about. I don't think pe- most people notice that John Hyden's high line is a wrist away. Yeah. He catches it inside, so people John, bite on it, and it's a wrist away. John Mayer said he changed. John Mayer's a great shot digger, mm-hmm. and he said he had to change his high line dig um, running you know, trajectory yeah, like yeah. just for John Hyden because it, it hits the line or the ring so consistently. It's Every amazing. Time. When I, when I it's first crazy. started playing with him, that's, I mean, Hyden practice is very simple. You draw targets in the sand, go hit them, hit that one 10 times, hit that one or five, whatever. And it's like, so every, I'm like on the first target still. And he's like, done so with everybody's it already. Got a, I'm like, God damn it. Everybody's got to go to. And most people know I, I really like the cut shot. If you, if you don't dig my cut shot, I'm just going to keep doing it. Right. Uh, until you, so guys I play against a lot, let's say Adam Roberts, I'll come out and I won't cut one ball because I know he's just sitting on it. But, uh, um, so I went out with Hayden and we're doing drills and he says, all right, we're doing cuts. And I was like, okay, here I can be competitive. Bread and butter. He just crushed me. <laughs> yeah. It was embarrassing. Yeah. And he draws targets pretty small. I got used to those, Real small. those target sizes and I go to other people's practices and I'm drawing targets and theirs are like twice as big. I'm like, really? We get to hit that? <laughs> so what, these what, little ones for two, four years. So one case in point about Hayden being a, a thinker and this is how you can really elevate your beach volleyball game is is the on-two play and spreading mm-hmm. the court. The very first time I was, Evie and John Hyden, longtime friends, and I believe he's his personal trainer. Evie's tra- been on the podcast. Personal trainer. So Evie and I were training against Hyden Scott, which you know was one of the best teams mm-hmm. at the time and maybe of all time. They're a great team. We're going to pause real quick for a word from our sponsors who keep the show moving. We are incredibly grateful for all of our sponsors and all of you, the listeners, who keep the show moving and keep moving us forward. We couldn't do it without you. Um, and now it's it's nuts that how fast the AVP season went by. But since it is over now, it is probably time that you re-upped on your volleyballs. I know that mine have turned to a kind of brownish-yellow color, so I know it's time for me to re-up on my volleyballs. I'm sure it is time for you to as well. So go to wilsonvolleyball.com, use the discount code WILSONSAND to get 20% off of all purchases at wilsonvolleyball.com. This show is also brought to you, as always, by our guys at VolleyballMag.com. They are your daily digital news source for all things volleyball. They got indoor covered. They got beach covered, whether it's from Stad to Hermosa Beach. Ed Chan has the best pictures in the game. Lee Feinswag has the most insightful interviews. Every now and then, I contribute something that might be worthless, might be worthwhile reading. I'm not sure, but if you're looking for volleyball news, make sure to go to VolleyballMag.com, your daily digital news source for all things volleyball. 
We would also like to welcome Volley Camp Hermosa as a new sponsor of the show. If you're listening, you've probably heard of Volley Camp Hermosa. It is the place to go to get better at beach volleyball. Whether you are planning a trip to Hermosa Beach, California, the mecca of beach volleyball, or live locally, they have professional coaches to take your game to the next level. For those making the beach volleyball pilgrimage, they offer week-long adult training camps that are the complete beach volleyball experience. If you live locally or you can't join a camp, you can take their weekly classes and or private training. All levels are welcome, from A to AAA to open. Sign up online at www.volleycamphermosa.com. I'll say that one more time, www.volleycamphermosa.com. Or for more information, you can just give them a call. It is 234-PLAY-VCH. Or you can email them. Info at volleycamphermosa.com. We will see you guys on the sand. And, of course, we always love our sponsors at PacificCoastWealthManagement.com because if your financial plan goes beyond making it into the main draw of an AVP volleyball tournament, check out our online planning tool at PacificCoastWealthManagement.com. We all know that you beach volleyball players need to put that oodles of prize money somewhere. You might as well start it with Pacific Coast Wealth Management. So when you get to the site, click on their link, build your financial plan here, and work with a licensed fiduciary advisor who can discuss everything from 401ks, IRAs, life insurance, estate plans, tax strategy, social security, investments, or good old stock tips, also known as a lot of stuff that beach volleyball players genuinely don't know a whole lot about, which is why we need the help with our guys at Pacific Coast Wealth Management. Business owners who need to offer benefits, retirement, or pension plans for their employees, partners or themselves, you can give them a call too. Or 529 College Savings or Roth IRA for your kids. Did you know that you can give 15000 a year to your kid? I know when I was a kid, I wouldn't have minded that. Start with your favorite volleyball player by connecting with us at Pacific Coast Wealth Management on Instagram or www.pacificcoastwealthmanagement.com or you can give them a call, 949-637-7052. Again, that is 949-637-7052. A lot of the listeners of the show are professional athletes, and as we all know, you cannot have enough recovery, which is why the show is also brought to you by our good friends at FireflyRecovery.com. So what Firefly Recovery is, it is a wearable device that simulates blood flow throughout the damaged or sore or afflicted area, say a knee. And what you do, you just strap it on and it helps you recover much faster. So when you are on that 12-hour flight to Stad or a 36-hour trip to South Africa, you can put this on and you're not going to get that super sore, kind of swollen feeling that you get after you fly on planes. Actually, you can make your plane you can make your trip productive by putting on Firefly Recovery, helping heal up that area, getting off, and you're going to be playing the best volleyball of your life. So give them a visit at fireflyrecovery.com. Let us know what you think and use the discount code SANDCAST in all caps for a 10% off. All right, that is SANDCAST, all caps, for 10% off at fireflyrecovery.com. And now, back to the show. First time I short-served Hayden, and I'm running up to the net to block, and I hear Sean Scott from the other side of the court say, I'm ready. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just kind of this green rookie, and I go, what does that mean? And he just bounced this ball, and it is, you know, you can, the only, the only way to prevent it is serving deep or really hard, but on any medium or easy ball, he did it with, uh, in the Hermosa final this year, last this year he did it Theo. with Theo Brunner. Yeah, just kind of a medium easy serve. He just spreads the court, and somebody gets an open net. 
Oh, dude, when he's with Ryan. And, and people, other teams don't do it. Yeah. It's kind of amazing. I'm, it's a tough. It's sure, a really you're working on it with Jose and Trevor. <laughs> when you're used to Hayden doing it, it's funny because he's more of an accurate setter like that, like off of a cut shot or something. I came, out, is I came out normal. last year and worked on it with Del Sol for a couple different practices with Davenport and another coach, and we just we just never implemented it. Couldn't. Uh, it's it's very difficult to do. Effectively. Yeah, that's it's my favorite play now. Now that I've played with him for so long, you kind of have to feel like a middle blocker as the as the hitter or the guy at the net, which is why I think that him and Theo are really good at it. But you're you're hitting a quick ball. You know, you're almost you're jumping as it's contacting him, and he's just putting it right in the right pocket but I think if you miss it like the area the what do you call it hitting window the hitting window is a lot smaller when you're when you're trying to set a ball onto or off of a cut shot or something like that you know the and I might have got spoiled because the first guy I played with was Billy Allen when I would put a short serve up he would cross body from the left side turn it and bounce it like the Rosie Vegas line Mm -hmm. and I felt like he was a thousand percent. I must have put him up 20, 30, 40 times in, in you know, refereed matches on the AVP. And, and he just, uh, he would just, he was a thousand percent. And so I got spoiled right away. And, you know, then I'd be playing with other guys. I won't mention them. And I'd put it up and they'd, <laughs> they'd, they'd get dug or blocked or hit in the net. And I go, what are you, what are you doing? Why can't you just bounce that? Right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, but if you, if you miss the set onto now the, it's an easy ball that's getting pushed into the net or your partner's like struggling to set you. So you just messed up a free ball or something, you know? So I think that's why a lot of people are scared to do it. Whereas Hayden's so confident in it. Blockers have such a hard time defending it because you need to, you effectively have to choose. You have to Mm. pick one guy. And now you have the jump sets that everyone's doing. So you'll get it on two, come off the net, jump, open up, see the guy jumped with you and then just push it to the pin. A guy with good footwork like Hayden can just tap it down. Thank you for the uh, Jack and Coke, by the way. I feel like yeah. I'm cheating on Taylor drinking uh, Jack and Coke without him. <laughs> we can get him on here with he's, you next time. We'll bring he's him back. A, he's in Hawaii. I'm here. I'm drinking a Jack. He's we're on those Mai Tais. <laughs> we're, uh, we're drinking in your honor, Taylor. <laughs> <laughs> feel free listens. to refill. I'm not sure if Taylor's ever listened to his own episode. Maybe not. But it's funny to... Because you can start to see like the next generation of teams trying to do that. Because Evie works a lot with Evie works with like everyone now. Uh, he's a pretty popular coach, but the main team is Kalinsky and Miles Evans. And me and Avery played against them the other day, and they spread it like if it's not a really tough serve, like it's pin to pin. It's pretty hard because they're both really good setters, and uh, and Miles has that fast, snappy arm swing that there were a couple of like uh, sorry Avery, I was like ten feet away from Miles. 50-50. And and you get a it's good player with you get a good player with the open net, and the other two players just kind of turn around because there's just there's almost no chance. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you've done your research on this, but I really like strategy games. And Bill Kalinsky and I used to play a lot of Stratego, which I call I a combination Stratego. between chess and poker. Um, so chess is maybe the highest level strategy game of all time, but poker is is, is a lot of bluffing. There's no bluffing in chess. Um, and so it's Stratego walks the fine line between those two. And volleyball can be some of that, can be some strategy and some a little bluffing. You know, when everybody's tired, you just make it look like you're... I, I learned this from bike racing. You can just kind of bluff. Yeah, I'm not, totally. I'm, I'm not tired. Uh, are you, oh, I do that. Do you guys need a timeout? Because time. 
Are you going to take the technical? Because you don't have to. That's <laughs> that's a fact in a in a in a refereed you know match. You don't have to take the technical. So every once in a while, I've asked right. guys, you, you want to take the technical? Oh, really? Uh, it's just kind of amusing. <laughs> Unless you're in a TV match. Yeah. You, Unless, you can you, just stand you out there. three technicals in the TV you match. You can just stand on the court and not, don't put your hands on your knees and just stand I'm there. I'm pretty sure Karch did that one time in some blazing hot match. Everybody dove for the umbrellas as soon as you know the whistle blew, and he just stood out there and just waited for them to come out. And that's kind of that, that's kind of that poker mentality. Like, totally. Well, you guys think this is hot? Because it's not. That's really funny. I like that. I remember talking to Theo about some of the kind of, not mind games, but strategy that Todd Rogers would implement that they, they were playing against, I think maybe Dave McKenzie and somebody, and, and they were just getting killed on this cut shot just over and over and over again. And Theo was like, Todd, like, are you going to pick that thing up? And Todd was like, just don't worry about it. When just, I need to. Just side <laughs> out. Like, I'll get the cut shot when it needs to be dug. And they were down 18-17. Cut shot, dig, Theo on two. Cut shot, dig, cut shot, dig. And then he picks up the next one, and they win 21-18. And Theo was like, why'd you do that? And Todd was like, well, I wasn't worried about it. I knew we'd win. Like, I was going to pick it up when I needed to. <laughs> and it's just crazy that some players have that higher level of thinking and the confidence to pull it off. If don't, you've, don't try that at home, though. If, you, if, you, <laughs> if you've never played with a high-level guy, it is just an absolute pleasure when you get the chance. I um, randomly, just right when Stein, Steino, Stein Metzger was retiring, I got to play one with him, and it was almost the exact same thing. But I, I kind of had the wherewithal to not ask him about it, but this guy was just highlining, highlining. And, and a lot of guys want to win, win the race to the technical, to the 11-10, and, and the high-level guys, all they're waiting for, I mean, they, once it hits 17-18, they, they find the next gear. Totally. I, I definitely noticed that as a, as a youngin, because... You're like every time you play a top player, you're like, oh, all right, oh my god, it's it's seventeen all, it's sixteen seventy. I yeah. got a shot at this. How many? Why how do many, I lose every time though? How many guys? <laughs> what how hell? many guys do you talk to in the players' ten or after a match? They say we had them eleven ten or we yeah we, exactly we were all up seventeen fifteen. That's always the story, and you know exactly. what the end result is. We lost, but yeah. we were up seventeen fifteen. That's literally exactly totally. very first main draw we played Ryan and Billy. I mean Rafi were up eleven ten at both technicals. And we came out of the technical or that first switch down either seventeen eleven or sixteen twelve. It was either seven zero or six one switch. <laughs> like because sh- we'll those guys <laughs> make the adjustment, and yeah. uh, and the more inexperienced players do not. They don't mm-hmm. adjust fast enough. Right. So um, I I actually had a really good conversation with Taylor the other day. He was giving me pointers, and he just gave me a little different way of approaching the side out instead of what am I going to do to outcraft them. He, uh, I don't know if he wants this announced, but he says, he approaches it. He says, how are, how are these guys going to stop me? Because they're not. And he just kind of has that confidence of, look, I'm, I'm, I'm one step ahead of you every time. And, and maybe you block me, but you're not going to stop me the next time. And it's just kind of a nice, refreshing approach. And I, so now I'm just going to cut it nine times out of ten. <laughs> Sometimes there's overthinking it, right? Yeah. If you're confident... And you believe that you have every shot in the game. It's like, take take my favorite one, pick one, because I guarantee I can shred you with the other one. Got another one coming. Yeah, that's why I love when people get super stuck on tendencies or like, watch I watch two hours of film now I'm gonna beat this guy. Like if they're a good player, they're gonna well, they're gonna play an exact opposite game of what you're gonna 
show them. Well, Skylar Del Sol has watched more film than you have, so. Oh, well, I have not watched much film. Is he film. a film junkie? He's a, he's a film guy. Yeah. Uh, Kalinsky, too. I'm trying to learn how to watch film better, because I just watch it, like, in general, and then you'll ask me after, I'm like, I don't know. I kind of, like, I can picture his style now, which I think is very helpful. I'm, like, picking up tendencies, but I can't, like, vocalize it that well, like, tell you a whole game plan. I'm like, I just kind of know how that person moves and where the ball lands on their body, but I I don't know how to watch it's, film it's, and it's get a really good It's always a nice strategy. compliment when you're about to start a match and a couple different players set up a tripod there who aren't even in the match. Yeah. So I think Mull <laughs> and Sorum were that team this oh, year. Totally. The guys are just dropping their tripods there, but there, there have been teams like that in the past, like a newer team, mm-hmm. you know, like Taylor and Gibb, when they first got together, everybody wants to get film on them quick mm-hmm. and see if they can find some cracks in their game, which it's pretty hard to find. As, yeah. as we saw from the king of the king. Who do you think is the most cerebral defender out there besides Hayden? Because some guys well, are more natural. Be, used summer. to be Todd. Todd, yeah. Who actually Hayden used to tell me that he would ask questions and like study Todd's game before. By the way, really? Yeah. That, that, Early that, on, that, he would ask Todd a bunch of questions, and Todd would be cool about it because he's just an indoor guy and he wasn't that good. That makes a lot of sense. I gotta, I gotta submit. Mayor would be up there, mm-hmm. right? Mayor. I would also throw... I know Trevor thinks it's him, but... Trevor's a defender now, right? (laughs) 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 I would also throw uh, Fijalek in that mix. Oh, dude, I love him. I love Um, watching him. Because he is like the Polish Todd Rogers. Like, you look at everything he does, it's like... If you put, it's like when you put Kobe film over Michael Jordan. He's even got that poopy pants. The body language kind of like... Slump shoulders sometimes, but like that the same, Todd, the, Todd the Rogers. chizzy, yeah. the cutty, <laughs> like all, like everything he does looks so much like Todd Rogers. Todd used to have this uh, mental black book on every international team, and you could just go up to him and be like, "Hey, I'm playing Brazil's fourth, fifth team." You know, of course, one of their names is Loyola, and the other one is right. Uh, yeah. And and uh, um, and he goes, uh, "Yeah, I know that team. Uh, serve the left side guy short into his right, and then dive angle on him." And he just just but wait until wait until after the technical you know he'll just come up with something like that <laughs> yeah. with hundreds of international teams he just had this amazing mental relevance. and then he got a hold of the thin beast and it was just game over yeah because i mean i'm sh- assuming phil just listened and used his physicality and to and then and then as phil got better <laughs> better than watching Watching Todd still kind of berate him was pretty fun. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Phil's earning six points a match. I was like, how come you didn't block that ball? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Phil got pretty over that at the end, I think. Yeah, uh, but that was that was pretty fun. Todd said at one point uh, in an interview, he said he said I, I think most of the world wishes uh, that Dax and I were still playing together. You know, two six six two six three guys. <laughs> fun to watch on film. I like Todd and watching, Dax or Todd and Phil. Uh, Todd and Dax. Yeah. Todd and Phil have to be one of the most boring teams to watch on film in history. One, because right. they were so good. Like, it's, it's not exciting to watch 21-14, yeah, 21-12. And two, because they were so used to winning. Like, Phil and Nick, when they were younger, like, 05, they were a ton of fun to watch because, like, they get super jacked up. Then Phil and Todd, like, winning was such an expectation. And even when you're watching, winning is such an expectation. And it was by so much, it was like, well. Phil, Phil's one of the few guys that I see uh, his opponents consistently kick sand on him as they cross the net, which I think is a nice compliment uh, <laughs> because he's just that good. Yeah. That, that all you can do is just kick kick sand on his legs when he stuffs you four or five times. Yeah. And now you've seen, you've seen beach volleyball f- through a few different generations of top teams cycling through. Where do you see 
us as we stand now. So we have Phil and Nick, who are, uh, in my opinion, the clear-cut number one team in the U.S., but who knows if they're still going to go for it through Tokyo. What do you look at? What do you see in terms of the future? For the U.S. or international? Girls, too. U.S., yeah, guys and girls. Very good question. Uh, well, the last Dig magazine had Taylor Crab on the cover. He's, you know, uh, he's seen, gotten two already. <clears throat> he's definitely emerging as the U.S. top defender, although Nick arguably is still holds holds the king title right now. But uh, you know, Taylor being 15 years younger definitely has the long term advantage there. So, it, you know, internationally, I've never seen a meteoric rise like Mullen Sorum. In one year, I went to um, France last year for a one-star with Adam Roberts, and I think they finished seventh in that tournament. It just they went from that to the one-star. It might the, have been the other mole. I don't but know. Maybe. <laughs> it, 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 Adam swears no, not it was two that. years ago. I don't know. It was well, a, they beat was, me in the. They beat Haydn and I in Klagenfurt in 2016. Maybe they had a bad tournament, and they got a, a could, fifth. There. I know that they. No, they got a fourth. Anderson Christian did not make it out of a qualifier at one point this year. So you could be right. Like they did have to play some one stars and they did have like a little bit of trouble at the <coughs> beginning of the year in them. Well, they were on this podcast. You could ask them, right? Yeah, we did. Whatever. At the beginning of the year, generally no one knew them. Right. right. And now they're the undisputed number one team in the world. And maybe the one seed going into the Olympics, if you bet on it right now. Probably. Right? Yeah. So that's a pretty fast meteoric rise. That's that's impressive. Yeah. Um, but on the U.S. side, um, you, you know, it's it's definitely an interesting conversation to see that the elder ranks of Hayden, Gibb, Phil, Nick, you know, kind of all talking about everyone's asking. It's got to be annoying for Gibb, you know, three-time yeah. Olympian looking yeah. four-time. Everybody keeps asking, <laughs> when are you going to retire? Yeah. It's like, I'm too busy beating guys. Yeah. Same, <laughs> same thing with Hayden. Yep. And Nick and Phil, it's a little different They're response. basically saying, well, we're just waiting for someone to retire us. That's, if you can beat me, then I'll retire. Mm-hmm. And, and no one's beating him. I think Jay- Phil's like, can someone already beat me already? Because I kind of want to retire. Yeah. <laughs> Nick and Phil. That's what it uh, seems like. <laughs> Nick, I, I was so sad for Taylor and Jake. Taylor didn't get his name on the pier this year. But they came over after the Manhattan. Like cocktails on my porch after the Manhattan uh, Open. And I said, you know, I said to Phil, I said, you can't keep winning tournaments playing at 65%. It's like, and he looks at me and he goes, we should have got beat about four times in that tournament. And, and he just, if you let him hang around, if you, if you let him hang around and get to that 16-18, he's going to eventually get some aces and blocks. Or if you hit a ball out of match point, he's like, <laughs> I mean, you saw him turn from that block because Taylor hit match point out by an inch that, deep. That was the one the And one he kind of half jumped and was like, oh, well, I guess we lose if Taylor hits this in. And he hit it out. And then you saw Phil's game turn into... Well, then I guess I'm taking it. Yeah, and he dude. just went beast mode. That's crazy. That's crazy. Yeah. And I was. I mean, you can't be. You can't be ashamed if you're Taylor. He took a great swing. It was a great dig and took a great swing at it. And just having that chance is amazing. But Taylor's gonna have his name on the pier a lot um, over the over the next 15, 20 years. Yeah. So he'll get he'll get a lot more chances. That was Phil's sixth time on the pier. I think so. Yeah. He, At least. He yeah. Passed because he passed Hovland. For yeah. Manhattan titles and so, uh, told him about it. Speaking of Hermosa, 33rd Street uh, is the only place in the South Bay I know where they play six-man. And I played uh, a couple weeks ago on Hovland's team against Dodd. That was really fun. It was, uh, it was a really fun day. Those guys played pretty high-level six-man there. Yeah, they still got it. They still got <laughs> they it. just uh, walk out. Luke Walton and Richard Jefferson and uh, uh, Scott Lane, those guys all play there. And they get a good crowd. 
It's a decent level of athleticism, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Some of the, the best beach volleyball Richard players. Richard Jefferson's in retired now. Jeff and Luke Walton. You know what's interesting to me is to see what what training matches get spectators for. So Phil, um, Phil and Rosie used to train at Eighth Street, and people would just gather around and watch because it's a free. You know, that'd be like watching Michael Jordan like on the on the Venice basketball courts. Of course, it would attract a crowd, but some people just don't realize what's happening. Yeah, and so that Thirty Third Street and some of those six man matches. Uh, people just stop on the strand and just start spectating. It's pretty fun. Yeah, it's fun to see. With Hermosa, and it, there's a decent amount of just passerby traffic on the strand, but in Huntington, it's a lot of fun. People walking on the pier, and like even if you don't understand beach volleyball, I think you can still understand when there's a high, like a high level of athleticism on display. It's fun to watch when you get like a good like two or three courts in a row, and people will just stop and be like, oh, well, Casey Patterson just bounced it over the light pole. This is pretty cool. Yeah. And it's fun to watch when people just stop to watch a practice. I have a question. Why in Huntington do they always do hitting lines facing the pier? It's very confusing. Yeah, I know. It's such a mystery. <laughs> when, there's, when there's cute girls on the pier. I know. No one ever <laughs> wants to bounce it on the pier. Tramley and Patterson. <laughs> and Rattledge. Rattledge doesn't understand the, warm, the hitting lines. He just keeps spatching deep. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of no jump. Formidable no jump players. Ed Ratledge is the best no jump player I've ever played against. Really? Yeah, because well, his game doesn't change. Don't offend Mesco here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I finished third in the no jump tournament. We lost to Miles and Bill, who, yeah. who then ended up winning. Uh, but yeah, that uh, that that reach and uh, and the spatch and the and the unpredictability is a formidable challenge. But I've never played Patterson in no jump. That has to be a. He's pretty good. I have played Doherty. I mean, that guy yeah. gets a good set. It's it's a spike, but right. Uh, I got I had a shoulder injury uh, about the same year, the same exact year that Medell tore his Achilles, and so we were both kind of recovering. We both come out. We're playing Huntington, first AVP, and I think a lot more people were watching him than me. But uh, Billy Allen made the comment. I think we were playing him. We we're playing uh, Medell Stolfus, and and Billy just kind of Billy has this really uh, uh, dry sense of humor. He goes, Mesco's game." After he gets injured, didn't change much. <laughs> it's like Mandel's game changed, changed a lot. <laughs> it's like let's go. Still, just kind of half jumps and cuts it. It's really <laughs> funny. How uh, how's Tramley playing these days? I feel Tram- like you're just like a vault of knowledge of just players from literally as young as Taylor to Tramley, who like keeps telling me he's moving to Washington, and then he's like, "Well, I can't leave the beach." And now, well, that's like that's like Gib, you know. They, Trambley, he, he comes out and he, he wins, and uh, and as as long as guys who are talented call him and he can come out, he, somebody called him up for the fourteen forty in Huntington, right? Me and Trev had him down to the beach to help us for a few practices. Uh, he when he we and, didn't have a coach. He's probably a great coach. Well, neither of it, Trev, Trev and I played. It's kind of like how I feel this winter. <laughs> if somebody good calls me to play, I'll play, but I don't want to recruit. So yeah. you, you, he. Trambley only takes incoming calls from recognizable numbers. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny, but I, yeah, is he still playing at a pretty high level? I would expect. Yeah, he's he's been off he's, the map. He's just a groveler. He he's uh, he reminds me when I play with him. It reminds me of playing with Taylor. I have this of this mentality of of don't net, jump high, press over, don't net, don't get tooled, turn <laughs> around and set. And yeah, just because you know what's coming up. Right. It's just like don't don't screw it up. Don't screw it up. He it's was the, worst, uh, the very first pro that I ever like met 
in person, and I was just like in total awe of him because he digs everything. I only, only played one match ever with <clears throat> Haydn, and it was the King of the Beach in Vegas, the NBL. And I was playing against Dana Camacho and Nick Lucina, and they, and they just kept tooling me. And Adam just kept saying, dude, you got to stop getting tooled. You're playing with Haydn. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and they were just, just, pull your ch- hands just down. chiseling. <laughs> They're like, just don't stop getting tooled. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Now, you, you obviously have a, a good business sense. You've seen the AVP for when it was in a, a pretty good heyday there in uh, the early to mid-2000s. Then it kind of went down. Then the NBL came up. You had some success on that. Uh, you've seen the wonderful Norseka tour in all of its glory. Uh, beautiful settings. And now we're seeing uh, the AVP in its latest iteration, also with P1440 and the Major Series and the FIVB and now King of the Court. I'm curious as to what uh, the business side of you thinks of just the landscape of the game. That's, a, that's an interesting question. Uh, I love, love beach volleyball. Um, the tournament that really sucked me in and really drew my attention was the Manhattan Open. I believe it was Karch and Doble versus uh, Seaman Whitmarsh, and that must have been 2003 or four. But just the energy and the, the electricity uh, um, of the whole stadium, and I was watching from the Manhattan Pier. Yeah, there were girls and music, but the competition and the sweat and the sun and just the, the, the health of it all. And, um, you know, people who play other sports or run track or play basketball, if you have a bad day, you end up in a sweaty locker room and a long drive home or a long flight home and it's a bad day. A bad day on the beach is not that bad of a day. So it's, it's got this attraction to it. Um, and, I, and, and in the 80s, all those companies like Jose Cuervo and Miller Light and Bud Light and Coors Light uh, recognized that and poured a lot of money into it. But now there's so many more metrics and algorithms to track your return on investment, and they're able to place that money very effectively. I, I don't know exactly what it is. I've, I've at a very um, amateur level, I've, I've invested just a little bit of money and time. I've ran Rock and Brews tournaments in front of my house. I ran that no jump tournament this spring and I'm, I'm working on a, a, a new small tournament at 35th Street that yet to be determined. Uh, I just don't see the return on investment yet, um, but I, I would like to see it and I'd, I'd like to be part of it. And I, I think for, 1440 appears to be on the right track and it's an overall package of the whole experience, the music. Um, Smackfest did this tournament, uh, and it was it was pro four four man draws, and right after the tournament just flowed seamlessly into a concert, and everybody stayed there because even the Manhattan Open, one of the best matches I've ever seen in my life, and I think most people would agree with that. That final Taylor and Jake against Nick and Phil this year. Uh, um, right after that, everyone just bails and leaves, and they don't even go to Shellback for a for a <laughs> for a. For a um, an orange Fanta shot. <laughs> uh, um, <clears throat> keep, you know, keeping that that whole environment and that momentum going, and then and then Hochaver and against uh, Ross and Kleinman had an amazing final there at the Manhattan Open, and I and I I I'd, I had a lot of fun watching that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I think doing keeping the whole experience, <clears throat> the health, the ocean, the sun, the beach, music, lifestyle. I think 1440 is on the right track, and I'm, I'm really excited to see who really brings that all together and is able to monetize it or make it uh, um, a sustainable sport. Yeah, because we haven't seen the business model in Beach change from the very first tournament 
hosted in 76 till now. It's just been sponsors put money forth. We have a tournament. Cool, but there's just no way to, there's no revenue or income streams at all. And now it's, it's exciting to see so many. We have four very different approaches to it now, like King of the Court. I don't really know what they're doing, but it's a completely different game. And we have P1440, and they have like this whole big experience. The ABP is going on the traditional model. And then there's the FIVB, which just kind of like puts the burden of the, on the sponsor or the promoter. Promoter puts it up, and the FIVB doesn't really have a burden. So it's interesting to see all these different approaches to it. I think our sport fails to create a storyline. And that's kind of what people like to buy into. When I watch NBA, that's something they tell the NBA me, did. They tell me who are, who are the heroes, who are the villains, who do I want to watch? What team? You know, they pick teams and they pick players for that year. That player might not even be the best player out there, but they picked them early on in the year. And we're going to promote this player as this kind of person, and I get sucked in. But I noticed that you know, for me stepping back from the sport for two years, being a broadcaster and all that, it's like. Nobody really, there's no building up of like, I mean, that's part of the reason why I wanted to start this podcast with you is because I wanted people to know who the athletes and the people actually are because I have the conversations with them, but nobody else does. And then they just see what they see on TV, which what, one te- two teams make a TV match seven times a year. You have no opportunity to really get to know. I mean, the online stuff on beach volleyball is terrible. Pretty minimal. And, uh, yeah, so I, I think I, you're I right think... about that. The NBA has done a, an amazing job with that. And mm-hmm. I, I heard a story about David Stern the other day that they, when, he, when he started increasing, you know, the NBA <clears throat> in the 80s, you had some great teams, the Lakers versus the Celtics. That was like Javi, Javi Dodd versus, you know, uh, um, um, Karch, Karch and Kent. And they just had these battles, but they weren't getting paid very much. And not that many people were watching them. It was grainy on TV. And David Stern took that to the next level, and I think he had somewhere between 25 and 30 cameramen and was very specific. He had, you know, there wasn't that many games televised back then, so the, for the premiere game, he had all their phone numbers for each, each camera operator, and he would call somebody after the game, and, you know, let's just say today LeBron had this dunk, and it went to a timeout, technical foul, and, and the guy who was supposed to get the camera shot of his face right after it missed it he would call that guy that night and say, why didn't you get that shot? And he was, it just demonstrated this passion for, for, the, for the mission that he had and the goal of, of what he saw basketball becoming, and now it has. And now you have you know, these $40 million Westbrook contracts, and that's the end result of that. Yeah. That's what you know, beach volleyball players would love, but we're not even, we're not even on step one it's compared an, to that. It's an yeah. art to, to pulling out the emotion and energy from people. Like, right, that's what you want. You want to be moved by by it and that's why you need that face because the guy just dunked it and his face after tells the whole story that's why that's why i love watching the nba finals that's why i love watching the finals and especially game seven is is because the loser goes home and everybody's putting everything out there all of their all of their physicality all their emotion all everything they have and it's fun to see for me it's exciting to see people put everything they have out there Mm -hmm. I love I love seeing that yeah. in any environment. Exactly. And and that's the sports job to to show that. Like when I see yeah, like a huge dunk in the NBA finals, LeBron goes and dunks it. I'm like watching, waiting to see is he gonna go talk to the crowd and scream? 
No, when it's the NBA Finals, he can care less how hustling, good his dunk hustling back care. He lands and gets back, screaming at his teammates. No one's high-fiving. Whereas if it's a Christmas Day game or something when he knows he's got to put on a smile and a little swag into his dunk, he's doing that. And conversely, uh, last year, game one, when he had the game one by himself, threw the whole team on his back, and then J.R. Reed kind of loses it for him. J.R. Smith. Sorry, J.R. Smith kind of loses it for him. Uh <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Watching that emotion, the whole series got lost in his face. He's just like, are you kidding me? I just put the whole team on my back. And, <laughs> and they replayed all I that. All I needed was you to just tip that ball in or something. JR shot the shot, and, or whatever he did. He didn't shoot. He just held it. And, and then he found out every camera for the next week <clears throat> is LeBron's reaction to that. Right. And then David Stern, or David Stern would have wished they had the shot of LeBron punching the wall, you know, so they could, they could, <laughs> yeah. they could tell that story. Um, and maybe he could have come back and won a few more games if he didn't break his hand. But, uh, I mean, that, that's emotion. That's emotion right there. Yeah. Uh, and, and I love that. And some people said, you know, some people used to say that was missing from Todd and Phil, but some, some people also always also liked it too. They called him the professor and just kind of unconscious. Yeah, that's something. I, I was talking about it with my trainer today, and, and there's an art from the player's side to being able to perform and put that emotion out there, put your real self out there, because that's, that's what you want to do is, is let people know who you are and be able to kind of engage with the fans while still being that super hyper-focused athlete. And I think not many beach volleyball players or Let's just say not many athletes in the world are able to do it at the highest level. I think it's something that's super important and something that I want to get better at is like engage with the fans. I'm not going to dance like I'm not going to try to be Casey Patterson, you know, and and start fucking popping and locking out there. (laughs) But I'd like to be more authentic. And and do they have the Patterson dance in uh, Fortnite, by the way? Do they have the. I don't play, but I wouldn't <laughs> be surprised. That guy's got every sponsor in the world. <laughs> he did win the Ricky Bobby Award this year. <laughs> <laughs> we need to transfer the Never Hungover sponsor from yeah. Casey Patterson <laughs> to, ta- to Taylor Crab. That, that just, Taylor that, that just needs yeah. to have. Who needs to make that phone call? I think Casey needs so, to just give it up. So, Travis, you asked about the women's side, and uh, that's I, I have a lot of fun watching the girls. And uh, you know, one girl I'd like to I'm really excited to see next year is Brooke Sweat. She, what did she finish fourth this year in Fort Lauderdale? Uh, Pretty much she, with her shoulder hanging yeah, out of oh, her body. Yeah, her, and yeah. summer optioning. So my the shoulder, highest efficiency I've ever seen someone so option. I told you I, I had shoulder surgery in 2010. In 2009, I would go to the med tent and I couldn't lift my look sh- lift my arm above my shoulder. And, and the and the PTs were saying, "How are you playing out there?" And I was just kind of swinging it with momentum. Yeah. And just essentially, my shoulder was hanging off my body, and that was like brick sweat. And she got a fourth in a five star. And that shoulder was hurting her for like through the Olympics. Anyway, so she, you know, she's back and she played a couple of tournaments, but shoulder surgeries take a long time. So I'm excited mm-hmm. to see her in 2019. Um, so that's exciting. Alex Kleiman's obviously real exciting to watch her stock rising as she's playing with like, would April Ross be like the Jake Gibb equivalent on the, on the female side? Maybe, mm, maybe probably more dominant, more Phil. Yeah. She wins with everyone. Okay. Not that Jake has. Okay. But. So if you're on April's team, you're, you're winning. Uh, but yeah. how about, uh, yeah, I mean, if we're going to sure. go internationally, Brandy Wilkerson uh, oh, had yeah. the good luck uh, dig centerfold photo shoot in front of my house, 35th Street, and then, uh, <laughs> Just and throw then, that out there. And then won the last three tournaments and 
Is Dude. she? Would she if Vegas is betting right now in the Olympics? Is she? Yeah, I feel like her and Heather oh, Bansley had kind of a, an Anders and Christian type rise this year because yep. Brandy was was good, but she was not like like I winning played, three big tournaments in a I, row. And now you you go into a tournament, has, and they're the favorites. Yeah, you know, as we're talking about David Stern and, and building this player story, she has that pull with the fans. I played this Norseka in La Paz last year with Skylar, and she was there and. And uh, the announcer hated us because we were beating the Mexican team you know, on their home turf. And so <laughs> the crowd was completely quiet. But when Brandy got out there, she just has this international kind of mm-hmm. racial angel thing. Like, where is she from? Brazil? Mm-hmm. We don't know. Germany? She's from Canada. Who would have yeah, thought? What? <laughs> She's a dark-skinned girl from Canada? It's yeah. crazy. And the announcer was just... It didn't matter what her teammate did or what the other team was doing. All I kept hearing was Brandy, you know, and his, uh, and the rest of it was Spanish. Brandy. The worst playing, <laughs> so bad playing against that. Too. Uh, and he just, he, the announcer was drawn to her, the fans were drawn to her, and um, you know Heather Vansley, her partner's great, and those those guys just had an epic finish to their season. Yeah, like, Melissa's kind of got that that vibe on tour as well. Yeah, kind of everyone's favorite, happy go lucky. Yeah, because they both have that personality that. Brandy can and will talk to anyone and have like a legitimately like deep conversation with them and just she'll be smiling and laughing the whole time. Melissa's the same way. Mm-hmm. Um and Brandy's just like she's also just like a like a physical athletic marvel. Like she jumps higher than half the guys Dude, blockers. Like she's going she like flies. full deep squat and like she's up above the net like making these moves with her hands. You know, like, I haven't you seen don't any see girls blockers do yeah, that. chin over. Yeah, she's, and she's, she's there. Very athletic, um, and on the opposite end of that spectrum, I like uh, as a dark horse. I like Katie Spieler, your your roommate's. Uh, so does your roommate. Yeah, she's in Moscow <laughs> right now. <laughs> <laughs> so does your roommate. <laughs> I can't wait till Zon listens to this podcast. <laughs> Spieler's badass to watch. Yeah, super fun to watch. Tons of fun. Yeah. She just like People. motors around. You know, I was talking to Adam. Was asking about restaurant sales, and I said, "Oh, this. You know, a couple of the restaurants are down." And I was making excuses. I said, but really, there's no excuse. You know, it, um, it would be like making the same excuse about I'm not tall enough to be a blocker and I'm six, six, six. Of course, I say I'm six, six, but I'm really six, five and five eighths. <laughs> As the height wall demonstrates, I'm six, five and five eighths, just slightly taller than you Patterson, got, but shorter than Gibb. <laughs> uh, but when I see Jeremy Casebeer, almost three inches shorter than me and just playing at a much higher level, that's, yeah. uh, that's, there's no excuse. And, and, and people say height is such a big different differentiator all the time, but but you see Taylor Crab at six zero, uh, you know one of the most dominant players out there, and then Katie Spieler, what's her height? Five six. Five six. Damn. That's 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 tough. That's yeah. tough to play from there. So playing against Brandy, going oh pits God. over pits over the net. Uh, that's tough. Yeah, and Katie and she, made a semifinal this year in she, Austin, and she does it. And her she and Carissa, it. and like, and she's so happy doing it too. Yeah. <laughs> And people, I, I feel like... Um, and how do you not like Carissa? She's great. Oh, yeah. It's she's so great. fun to that watch team, that dynamic. That team is just... Because you have... I can never <laughs> tell if they're winning or losing. They're just happy. I know. Yeah. We had a podcast with both of them, and, and you can tell why. On the, on the, on the guys' team, I can look from across the beach, a quarter mile across the beach, and tell you which team's winning by body language. But that team, I can never tell if they're winning or losing. Yeah. It was like, fun. They were a fun team to unless, travel unless with. I'm looking at Avery. Unless I'm looking at Avery, because of course he's, he's just, just mad all the time. <laughs> did he ever play with Rogers? Because he just slumps his shoulders after every <laughs> every play. I uh, when we played against Miles and Bill, so I'm I'm just everyone's whoever has a lefty partner. 
whenever that lefty partner can't fill in, I'm just you're, like the, the backup you're, reserve. You're the, you're the whore, yeah, whore so, blocker. So Tim Baumgren, it's great that he lives in Minnesota because I'm just fake Tim Baumgren in the South Bay now. So yeah, I get to train with Kame a lot, but uh, Avery was playing the country quota with Ed, and Ed couldn't train against Miles and Bill, so he called me up, and I was like, Avery, I haven't like played in like three weeks, and that was no jump when I did play, so I'm going to be terrible. Just be warned. And then we lost, and Avery was like, give me the ball, and I thought he was going to punt it, and I was like, I told you what was going to happen. <laughs> How come you didn't play in my no-jump tournament? We only had eight teams. Um... I would give you an explanation, but I don't really have one. So I texted Taylor after Austin, and I said, you can't just take whoever you want to an AVP final. <laughs> and he goes, yes, I can, but I can't beat Phil with just anybody. Yeah. Uh, and then and then later that year, when he did, he did finally beat Phil. And, um, Seattle? So, Seattle, he goes, that's officially my first AVP win. Uh, just because he, you know, he'd been looking forward to that. Beating Phil, beating Sunday Phil, as, as everybody talks about, is... And as you know, is is very difficult. Mm-hmm. Very yeah, difficult. I feel like it's kind of the equivalent of like Sunday Tiger in golf. What when it Tiger was, was peaking? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, for sure. Before just, 09. Uh, yeah. If you if you you know Trevor and Steve-O beat Phil and Rosie and you know uh, day one and Huntington Friday, and they, <laughs> <clears throat> maybe they were injured. Trevor claimed that one for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> well, Steve-O's got to claim that one forever. Steve-O, but yeah. it, it's just. You know that's a that's a massive win. I've never beat Phil, and I've never beat Phil. Period. But Rosie uh, that, like couldn't walk. Right, but that's that's still a ma- no matter what. It's a massive win, but it's Friday. Right, right, right. And it's, totally. You know, maybe an injury. When Phil makes the final, you know he's healthy and his team's healthy, and on Sunday and he's jump serving and block and pits over the net. When you beat him there, that's just. I mean, you're you're going down in the annals of history. Yeah, I where like do that. You, where do you see Taylor? Because you mentioned he's going to win. Probably going to win a lot of Manhattans and be on that pier a lot. Do you think he has that fill level of dominance where if you get, say, a quote-unquote Sunday Taylor, which I think is an everyday Taylor, I've never really seen him just like... This year, he almost never was just off. You know, what's amazing about the difference between those two, they're so different. Uh, when you ask Phil, Adam Roberts, uh, Adam Roberts, you need to have him on the... We did. Yeah, you did. We'll um, have to have he's, him back. He's just a wealth. He's a vault of he's knowledge. He's a vault of knowledge. So they had a, a decathlon in uh, um, with Matt Heath and you know all the all the Southeast uh, U.S. United States guys, and Phil and Nick were there. And one of the events was uh, a home run derby. And Phil, when you ask him, and you used to ask him, I don't know about now, but five years ago you'd ask him, he, he'll even say, "I'm not that good at beach volleyball." He, he's just very. He's either humble. Or just a liar. Screwing with you. Just yeah. screwing with you. But he, he seems truthful when he says it. So in this decathlon, they're talking about the events, and he gets the home run derby, and Phil goes, I'm really good at that. And everyone's like, holy, we, we, we got to see this. Phil thinks he's good at something. So Phil is just kind of a little ho-hum. He, uh, <clears throat> he's so talented, so such a naturally gifted athlete. Um, but he... Uh, um, it doesn't always feel like his favorite thing to do when I watch him. Or his Taylor uh, just looks like he naturally loves beach volleyball. Even, even it, it doesn't matter what the setting is. He came out to my court practicing. We were playing with a couple of, you know, it's a bunch of hacks to him. And uh, he just, he's peppering with me and he just loves it no matter where he is. And so watching that passion, I, I see a, a real bright future 
um, for him just because he's, he loves it so much and he, he lives and breathes it and, and you can feel it. I think that's the same way with the Norwegians, Anders and Christian too. They just love beach volleyball and like not even just the volleyball part of it, but everything that comes with it. They love the traveling. Like they did this epic vlog from Yosemite. Did you, have you watched it? I've that watched one? it, yeah. Yeah, it's. And I, they, I love it when people are just uh, uh, when when people want to absorb the travel and the the yeah. experiences where they are. They they really seem like they wanted to do that in California. Yeah, mm-hmm. like they just take in all of it. And I think that's why like Anders and Christian are like they if if Christian's poor shoulder can hold up. You talk about left side players who just hit that wrist away. God, Christian hits that wrist away all the time. But think, like if they stay healthy, like, I like his arm though. <clears throat> I think people that catch the ball a little bit higher at a higher peak tend to get that pinch in their shoulder more and no i think i haven't seen any players catch the ball more in front like possibly lower than 45 degrees than christian or yeah so yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but they have that same kind of joy that taylor does which is why i like their futures too just because like if they keep that joy, like it doesn't really matter. Even if they lose, they're like, "Oh, we get to go see Yosemite. This is great." And then they go to the next tournament, and they're just as happy as as they ever were. Yeah, Taylor play, goes home and plays nooners with his dad <laughs> at Outrigger. I'm trying to bring that part of me back. I get a little like, feel like I'm being professional about it. Like, no, rest your legs. Don't can do we, it. Don't play we, this extra fun tournament. Speaking of Hawaii, can we talk about the dinosaur? Yeah, <clears throat> I still haven't played it. Like I said, I'm I'm the no fun guy. I've been the no fun guy. Although I am playing a tournament Saturday in Hawaii. So Trevor, of course, is better than Taylor at everything, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, If you ask him. So Trevor's played the dinosaur and got second, maybe? (laughs) Yeah. So they lost to Jimmy the Nick? Uh, Uh, I don't know. Yeah. Of course, you haven't played the dinosaur yet, so you might not know all the finishes. Jimmy Nichols and Greg Lyle have won it more than anyone. They're really, really amazingly deceptively talented uh so your ages have to add up to 80 mm-hmm. and the women have to add up to 70 taylor won last year with his dad amazing uh over a, a team one of the teams against them uh was in the main draw in hermosa so that's that's impressive i think his dad is 76 uh so that was impressive so you, you got to play that tournament um I've actually, I've actually won it with a buddy of mine um, i just feel like i've been uh when is it uh it's usually valentine's day weekend on Kauai. Right, yeah. Yeah, I need to make it out there. It, it, it's, it's one of those... I have it in the category of tournaments of Seaside and the Mother Loud, and I don't think I've seen you at either one of those. I think you, no, I think, like I, think I said, you, I'm not, no fun guy. I think you need well, to put those on your list. When you're playing with Haydn, too, it's like ultimate efficiency. <laughs> you won't even take a step on the sand. Well, and if I go play a fun well, tournament now, with him... And now you're in Olympic qualifying year. We might have to wait till 2021 yeah, for, you know. to, for you to go to those tournaments. I tried not to play in this tournament Saturday. I'm flying out tomorrow morning, getting to Hawaii and playing in a four-man outrigger that Taylor's playing in on Saturday. And I tried to get out of it, but I kind of owed about, my And that's my what I love one. about Taylor is I, will, I would expect to see him in every oh, yeah. one of those tournaments. Yep. Mm-hmm. For sure. And there's a difference. I'm still like thinking, like, eh, maybe I won't go very hard. Taylor's just going to try to You're going to get sucked in, I feel like, though. Yeah. But Taylor plays left side. How is he going to avoid shoulder surgery just yachting? He's got a really like good that? arm. It's, it's more about a good arm. I actually watched his, uh, his, his approach and arm swing uh, video with the McKibbins. <laughs> yeah. I, I learned a few things. Me too. Like, the McKibbins tutorial is My great. arm just doesn't rubber band like Taylor's yeah, it's does. Crazy. So just you got to be able to get it back to that point. 
to be able to get that whip. But he's like, look, just like skinny, rubbery. He is pretty young. When when he does something, it's like it's like when Kurt Topple sets me ten feet off the net. He's like, why why can't you bounce that ball? <laughs> he just looks at me like I can bounce it. Like why can't you? And, and Taylor doesn't do it that arrogantly, but he's just like, look, just just hit it harder. It makes know, it look why, super easy. Why can't you hit it harder? Yeah, he's just very matter of fact about it. <laughs> he is a. They used to call Dana Camacho kind of a. Um, um, one of the higher volleyball IQ guys or um, um, a volleyball savant, if you will. Yeah. And I think Taylor's much more so that. I, I played uh, one tournament with him. I mean, we were playing Topple and Burek. And Topple blocked me right over my head on my line. And Taylor, last time I saw him, was setting me out of the middle of the court. And all of a sudden, he covered it. I turned around, just kind of shoulder slumped, doing the, the Rogers dro- <laughs> drost shoulder slump. Like, I uh, just got stuffed. <laughs> and Taylor covered it. And I go, what are you doing there? And he's like, I just thought that might be where it went. But yeah. do you think his is like a Raji calculated like yeah, thing, or is it more instinctual? I think it's instinctual. I think it's him. instinctual. Hayden uh, did that same play one time. I blocked the ball, and he covered it. And I go, what were you doing oh, there? Oh, that's the worst. And, and he goes, well, that's the only place I could have gone. Mm-hmm. What? <laughs> <laughs> There's a but, whole court. So that's yeah. The, yeah, that's the mental. Hayden Rogers are more of the just doing the calculation, almost like uh, uh, Doctor Spock on Star Trek. I, I just did the calculation, and yeah. the algorithm came up with that's where I needed to be. And Taylor's is just more instinctual. Yeah, that's just where the ball was going to go. Yeah, <laughs> it's simple. Why? Do, why can't you do that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned that the dinosaur is is one of like on your list of best tournaments out there. I'm curious, what is your favorite tournament? Mm-hmm. You mentioned Manhattan is kind of the, the since, biggie. Since Mullen Sorum liked the experiences, the dinosaur has those. Uh, I actually have a, an email list ready to go for whoever wants to email me when they go to the dinosaur. There's some amazing waterfall hikes. I mean, you know, Hawaii, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you paddle a kayak an hour up the river and hike an hour, and then you find this waterfall and there's a rope swing. And it's just. Hawaii has. Those experiences are like second nature, but growing up in the Midwest, you don't, you yeah, don't totally. that. you don't get that, especially if you grew up in Nebraska or somewhere, <laughs> yeah. uh, where you don't don't have as much. Uh, but my, the the tournament closest to my heart is the Motherlode in Aspen every Labor Day weekend. I'm actually uh, uh, just it used to be confidential, but at one point I bought into the tournament and helped. You know, was trying to help out, and uh, I I just love it. The the you're at seven seven eight thousand feet and the mountain background and the thin air and the sand and the beach volleyball is just such a unique experience like the amateur stad right i've heard is it amateur is that heard amazing things about stad it's amateur okay yeah i mean casey jennings won it this year so i I felt bad for those people who say they're pro Pro, they want a few bucks pros show show up (laughs) but it's an amateur okay right yeah 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 i'd like i i want to play in all those i went uh don't. <laughs> I, went, I went last year, and one, one thing I like about some of the amateur events, they haven't done this at Seaside yet, but at, at Aspen, they put your name in a little bronze plate on the, on the center court pole when you win it. Hmm. And I went with Skylar Del Sol, and we ended up losing to Kalinske Evans. Uh, that was a bummer uh, in the semis. Uh, but between every match, I looked at that pole and just kind of envisioned my name on that pole because I've played it so many times, and I've, I've gotten third, I feel like, five times. It's brutal, just losing in the semis. 
Oh. You can get through the whole tournament, not losing a match, losing the semis, losing one match and being out is so tough. Yeah, I hate crossovers. Crossover is so brutal. But when I if I lose for third, I'm like, it's not that bad. You definitely don't want to play for third. Like when you have to play when for the bronze 30, medal match on the FIVB in the tournament. People people forget, you know, when LeBron plays the Warriors, there's first place and second place. That's it. Right. When when you play in a team in a oh, tournament yeah. with forty teams. And you finish third. That's, that's pretty true. good. That's a good yeah. point. That's fair. Is, I've never when it, like in a CBVA or whatever, or like kind of one of the one of these tournaments. Like mother, I've never played the motherload. I want to, but it, now it's it's matched up with Chicago every year. It's it has been. So it's it's tough. So to, you just gotta if you have a bad tournament in Chicago, you gotta be ready to get on that flight. Yeah. <laughs> well, me and Hagen thought about doing that this year. And Hagen was like, you would have ready just to disappointed go. Jennings in the final. And <laughs> Jennings and Samuels. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just like, I was still just too bummed. I was like, no, I and just Hagen, can't look at Volley. I've only played Hagen a couple times, but he's got that fire. Yeah. And he's got the golden locks. Those yeah, 1440 yeah. Fo- photos coming out. I was like, is that a girl? Or a guy? <laughs> <laughs> he's got. He's got the Pantene Pro V, just golden locks. Yeah. Very, yeah, impre- the, very impressive. He um, likes his locks. He does, but yes. no, Hagen. I, uh, I think every time Hagen I see him, I, I feel like I need to player. condition my hair more or do more curls. <laughs> like, I don't know which one I need to do. When I was playing with Hagen, I'd be like, "What'd you do today?" And this would be at like ten o'clock. Our practice would start. He'd be like, well, I woke up and I lifted, and then I stretched, drank a protein shake, ate some oatmeal, lifted again, and now I'm at practice. I was like, "It's ten o'clock. You've worked out twice and already had like two thousand calories." <laughs> He's an a, animal. That's pretty amazing. Yeah, Oof. he's getting good. I mean, he made a Sunday. All right, he made a Sunday in P fourteen forty Huntington, and that was a good tournament too. Like Seminoff and Harley were in it. Um, they had like yeah, a yeah. fair amount of no. He's he's top uh, level teams. Uh, that was impressive. Yeah, you got fifth, fifth, right? Uh, he got third. Oh wow! Yeah, he uh, did. He beat you. To he get beat to me in the quarterfinal. <laughs> 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 You're just plugging plugging yourself there. Well, so <laughs> speaking of Hagen's uh, great up and coming player, but speaking of up and coming. Uh, Hagen Smith. Hagen Smith. For people who didn't know. Yeah, yeah Hagen mm-hmm. Smith. Are there other Hagen players? No, but I thought other the Smith name is pretty important. Yeah. Smith, <laughs> Smith name is pretty important. I have two quick stories about that. So, uh, one game that I've that that I didn't invent, but I've I've brought to the beach is the frisbee game you've played. Yeah. In my house, uh, we call it Beersby or um, uh, Polish Horseshoes. Mm-hmm. Um, Taylor Crab really good at it. Taylor and Cook are uh, Ryan we're, Cook. Brian Cook have been the one seed. Nick Lucena was really good when I Nick Lucena, uh, I have his Vegas number one uh, odds. <laughs> his hand-eye is Dude. ridiculous. And he's ultra-competitive. I was playing with ultra, Gabby, my wife, yeah. who like t- isn't an athlete. And he's like fully getting into it, <laughs> like break, going all out. I'm like, Dude, trying to I break can't it, trying beat to break, you. Trying to knock her teeth out. I can't beat you right now with her. So, like. so uh, Taylor and Brian Cook... We're at Smackfest, and I brought the game down because it was a couple blocks from my house at the time. Smackfest is pretty cool as far as beach volleyball scenes go, and uh, um, I'm, and they challenge me and kind of they're they're insulting me like you suck, you, you, this is your game. I can't believe you keep letting us beat you. And I look around for a partner. Who do I see? Is Sinjin Smith? He goes, Sinjin, uh, have you ever played this game? He goes, No. We end up beating them. Sinjin just hand-eye coordination and competitiveness. He started out the game like, I don't even know the rules, and you didn't tell me this. And at the end of the game, he goes, you're, n- you're not doing your part. You're supposed to get that ball, partner. <laughs> you're, supposed to, you're supposed to catch the bottle. Uh, so that was, that was pretty funny. But 
as far as up and coming uh, young guys go, and I, I always look for the ex Jake Gibb partner, the left side defender yeah. who's uh, who just got dumped. Um, I either do that or I try to take a right side defender and turn him into a left side and say, I'll set you back or I'll play left when, when it gets tough, you know, yeah. whatever. Uh, but I, I recently have played, trained a little with Miles Partain, and uh, I really like him. Is he 16? Yeah, junior in high school. He just played with Marty in the 1440. Yeah, 6'4". Oh, 6'3". Man, when he gets a good set, he's, he's so young he's and fun hard, and dude. humble. Uh, I've had a great time playing with him. Wow. And I think he's uh, I think he's moving down to the South Bay. I thought I heard rumblings about is that. Is he or going he's, to college? He's playing indoor. To UCLA. Well, he's, he's going indoor. to high, he's going to high school. Oh yeah, good point. Committed to UCLA <laughs> but, to play indoor. Ah, uh, skip I, it. So Tim, the, like the Tim second the second skipping indoor. The second really? time I tra- second time I trained with him, I said, "Hey, we're you know, can you play tomorrow at nine a.m.?" He goes, "No, I, I have school." <laughs> <laughs> I said. Of course you do. Why, why wouldn't I have known that? <laughs> <laughs> no, he, that kid is going to be really freaking good. He, well, I was talking to Rafi about it because he played in P1440 with Marty, like you mentioned, and I was like, Rafi's like, he's going to be really good. No, he's already really good. He's going to be <laughs> insanely good. And it's true. Like, he's 16 and, and he's like a top flight defender. Like, he, main draw P1440, like, no problem. So Rafi's girlfriend Avery moved in um, the the house behind me, and so Rafi just hangs out on the roof and, and scouts all of our practices yeah. and comes down. And <laughs> Never and plays himself. The first yeah. the first time you saw Miles playing with me, he just we're we're between a rally and he goes, "How did you get so good?" And Miles goes, "We we have a volleyball court in the Palisades." Yeah, it was just like a simple explanation. <laughs> it was really funny. Wow, super humble kid. Great parents too. His mom's awesome. Like super humble His family. Mom seems great. Uh, yeah. I like I like I like him a lot. I would uh, if he had a stock, I would buy it. Yeah, <laughs> and you're uh, you're a betting man occasionally, and so I'm interested. I know we've kept you here for a while, and it's uh, although we have a big weekend coming up, going to Mammoth, so we don't need to be we, we too are, crazy we are rested. Going to Mammoth. Um, but if you had to put some odds down on your favorites, men and women's team, to make Tokyo from the U.S.? Well, of course, uh, Trevor and Try are the one seed right now. We Obviously. Know, we know that. We know that. <laughs> a, number, a number one ranked team. <laughs> and, and Trevor's already bought his flight to Tokyo. Um, I think the, you know, the Dig Magazine says the world wants to see Taylor play with Phil. Uh, that's that's what that's what it seems like some of the people want just because it sounds interesting. But maybe we can get just an exhibition match. Uh, it's it's hard to bet against Taylor and Jake Gibb. They're so passionate. They want it so much. Um, but but then you know Nick and Phil playing at sixty five percent or whatever they were playing at in Manhattan. That's a that's an easy an easy bet for somebody if they're if they're both healthy playing one hundred percent. Yeah. Uh, um, Try and Trevor are pretty fun to watch. Watching them play Nick and Phil in Hawaii the second time was was really fun. Uh, I was I was. Why cheering. not the time we beat them? Because <laughs> I wasn't the second wa- time when you lost. Because I, I wasn't watching that. Oh, okay, but, great. But Thanks. watching Thanks. you guys both open net for Phil and he hits out and you guys both celebrate. I I, I had fun watching it. Um, that was that was a good time. Is that do I need to progress the to the women's? Yeah. With the women's side is, the is women's I, side I think, going to be a ton of fun to watch. Because Carrie and Brooke came out with that 17th in Vegas, but that's just not resplendent of what they're going to do. 
Um, so I don't know if those are final partnerships. I would love, I would love to see Brooke in Tokyo. Uh, April and Alex would be an easy, kind of an easy pick, right? Yeah, I think April, Alex, Sarah, Summer, uh, Carrie, Brooke, did, did I already Emily, say, Betsy. Did I already say Spieler is my dark horse? Yeah, you mentioned her. I don't know if she's going for Tokyo. Uh, maybe snowball. <laughs> her and Carissa are in Moscow as we speak playing snowball. Adam, Adam Roberts has played that Moscow tournament in the snow. Really? Or wait, no, maybe he just got invited by Andre. But uh, uh, so <laughs> Jose invited me to play against Sarah and Summer uh, on their court. What is that? 29th Street. Mm-hmm. I had trouble. I, I invited Hawk and we played. That's them. our court now. That's your court. So you guys train against them, of course, with my box. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> and you cut the legs off it, by the way. I know. I, you can't. Just because not everybody height. hits from Phil and Casey Patterson's I play against seven footers all day, yeah. <laughs> I, I told Jose there's a return policy of 30 days. <laughs> so Jose had us play against him, and I said, are we playing no jump? Because Kalinske and I used to play against uh, Betsy and Kelly, uh, no jump against jump with on a women's net, which is a pretty fun game for two pretty good guys and two pretty good girls. I, I recommend it. Uh, but Jose goes, no, you, you jump and swing. And they, uh, uh, they beat us the first game, and I was feeling pretty bad about myself. And th- those two girls are, are pretty good. Uh, yeah. yeah. The women's side. Sa- and then Sa- we have like Sarah and Summer. Kelly Clays and Sarah Sponsel, too. And they're both really fun. Summer's just kind of has that, a little bit of the Taylor Crab, just happy. You know, you can't tell if, can't tell if she's winning or losing. She just has a great attitude. Almost like the old UCLA uh, John Wooden, just train really hard. Put your best effort out there and detach from the results. I really like that attitude. I I, I need to and I, I would like to see that more out of myself. Yeah, I uh, I get a little. My point of triggering is when I feel like I'm being cheated. When when I feel like the ref made a bad call or a player ref doesn't know doesn't even know the right call. <laughs> I get I get just a little just have this just red hot energy <laughs> well up inside me and just like oh I'm gonna. I'm going to do something here. Time to go to Nepal. <laughs> time, to, yeah. time to go to Nepal and sit, sit in the lotus position. Yeah. Which is very hard, actually. <laughs> Sounds easy. Now, as a player, are you getting back into it, training at all? I've been injured this whole year. I, I had knee, sur- uh, knee surgery in April, Dr. Thomas. Thank you. Uh, I'm excited to be back. I played uh, played just a few little tournaments. I played one in one of Ratledge's a- AVP Next. Nice. Got smashed down by Avery and Zahn. I don't roommate. know if 19 and 19s is smashing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they beat us. Yeah. So uh, I'm excited to get back into it. And uh, besides Trambley and Partain, um, I'm looking for my left side defender for next year. <laughs> I like it. Yeah. Well, we have... Uh, and of course, Trevor's, uh, Trevor's a left or right side defender. Right. Right side defender. So I Hybrid. Can't, I can't talk to him. Hybrid. <laughs> the only split blocking team in the U.S. I'm pretty sure. I think you're right. I like I like split blocking. Me too. Really like it. I hate uh, not defending. People, people don't sp- people don't um, weight how much uh, uh, um, endurance factors oh into a beach volleyball match, and in in long <laughs> tournaments like a CBVA where you're going 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. Uh, I will. I'll go the f- whole half of the first day, or whole first half of the day, split blocking. Yeah. Try least. playing with John Hyden, who you can be laying ten feet off the back of the court, and he'll be like, "Where are you?" <laughs> and then he'll set you on two, and you're jump serving the whole time. Yeah. I had like so many more kills than everyone in most of the tournaments. Not that that's like a big I, stat, but like 
because he set me on two every time. Plus, I get served a shitload. I, so yeah, that that's, that's tough very hard. That's <laughs> you know, as a we're all, we're all blockers here. Uh, right. When you when you get when, of course you're hybrid. Um, when you're when you're block <laughs> when you're blocking jump serving and seeing every serve, that's just a lot of jumps. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a lot of jumps. That's why I teams will do that in a too. month. And and it's easy if if you're fifty fifty on who to serve, you serve the blocker, of course, because yeah. he's taking more jumps. Yeah. Short serve the guy that's ripping jump serves, running to the net, and getting set on two. Unless it's Phil. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Unless no, totally. <laughs> You're right. Yeah. Split blocking is great. I just wish I wasn't so bad at it. When I'm on defense, I'm just like, well, I, if there, you don't get a block, it's... Uh, I have enough. a number. I have a number in my head, and it's when we're up five. Skylar, Del Sol, and I, when we were up five, we would split block. Yeah. Hmm. So if you started out like 5-0? Yeah. <laughs> we, uh, you ju- really wanted in, a good in start. <laughs> Jamaica last year had my biggest biggest win ever. I think it was twenty one to four or three. I think it was three. Oof. And and Kalinsky and Evans beat somebody twenty one four. And I was like, you guys are terrible. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> is like, yeah, you can. That it's, can happen. Yeah. So you go from them to Binstock or the Cubans, and it's just like, well, we we just played, you know, an unrated team, and we went to a an Olympic like an Olympic 15 seed the tournament starts in the quarterfinals at Norseca (laughs) yeah it's that's really tough when you go from um, Barbados to Cuba (laughs) (laughs) you're you're like jump serving and the crowd's yelling at like why are you jump serving the guys these guys can't even pass poor guys (laughs) poor guys you're like well I'm trying to warm up for (laughs) for Diaz here I gotta play the Cubans next (laughs) (laughs) Norsecas are fun they're they're fun. I, I, uh, I, I kind of laugh. They're, the nets are. I, I as I said, I, I like maintaining nets. I if you notice, I, I try to maintain one of the nicest nets on the beach, and it's. I think it's the only uh, pro net uh, that I've seen in the South Bay, twenty eight feet wide. So the antennas are right on the on the dowel. I had no idea that it was that twenty eight feet wide was the regulation. That's yeah. uh, FIVB regulation. No You'll notice the antennas are right only at the edge know. of the net. Uh, the the foreman. Uh, Old school or, or old regulation court is thirty two feet wide, two, thirty two foot wide net. So um, yeah, it's gonna. It's. Uh, I feel like you and Adam Roberts could have some serious OCD. We should have both of them on net height and length. Yeah, because Adam. We he so he asked both of you guys uh, on my net height uh, what is what is the regulation height because the AVP historically has put it an inch and a half low. And the FIVB historically has put it maybe half inch to an inch high. Would you say that's accurate or not? Well, you, you, oh, man, I'm, you, I'm like Adam, forgetting that. Adam and I, I didn't play that much. Had this exact discussion. So, so yeah, so we, I, I put so much effort into my net and and the nets I maintain that I want I want it to be accurate, and so I set it at seven eleven and five eighths. Right, that's regulation height. Right. But so what I decided was I'm going to walk out to the Manhattan Open final right before there you go right before uh, Nick and Phil play Jake and Taylor, and it was it was one inch low, and that's what AVP sets it at, and that's fine, and so that's what I set my net at now because I want to play at what AVP domestic uh, professional tournaments are being played at. The problem is you go to FIVB and it's uh, it's a it's a lot higher. Yeah, because that's what, when Adam and I were finished training the other day, he calls up Evie. He says, all right, well, who's first tomorrow? Uh, next user course, is it the women or the men? 
So now I had to set the court, and he said, oh, well, it's Bill and Miles are playing tomorrow. So Adam sets the net intentionally a little bit high. Ex- exactly. Because they're like, playing an FIVB yeah. tournament next. And I was like, Adam, that, that seems pretty high. And he goes, oh, well, it's FIVB, so it's, it's a little bit high. And, and he had it like he had his FIVB little mark, and then he would have his EVP little so mark. So I, I, um, because of all the, all the beer I buy from, <laughs> from Anheuser-Busch, I got to uh, deliver the game ball to the Lakers uh, to cope. All right, so we had uh, some brief technical difficulties. The batteries died. We were just having too much fun talking to Mesco that we, we talked past our battery length. But the final question <clears throat> we have for all of our guests is, if you had to give one piece of advice to an up-and-coming beach volleyball player, what would that piece of advice be? I'm just going to pass this mic over. Wow, that's a very good question. Um, a lot of thoughts running through my mind, but uh, um, it seems my experience with uh, beach volleyball players that I've uh, ex- run into over the last 15 years in California is that um, at some point they struggle with income. My my advice would be to to try to develop some sort of income stream so that you can pursue your passion at beach volleyball. That would be the first piece. And the second piece would be Michael Singer, uh, the author, and that would be the journey beyond yourself. You know, when you're, when you're arguing with the ref, which I've done plenty of, uh, um, unless it's J-Rod, of course, nobody argues with, <laughs> nobody argues with J-Rod. He's, he's been on, he's been on. Uh, um, when you're, when you think you're, you're just that cool, like, oh, they can't do this to me, or I can't believe this guy's blocking me. These guys shouldn't beat me. Just, it's, you need to take a journey beyond yourself. That would be my, that would be my closing. I appreciate you guys having me on the show. Yeah, we appreciate you coming on. I will see you all weekend in Mammoth. <laughs> We're having a drink in, in Taylor's honor tonight. Well, uh, I'll close by uh, shoots. <laughs> <laughs>